Hi, and welcome to the Mindful Money Manager. I'm Sarah Ayadanza, and as you know, I'm an advisor at UBS Wealth Management. My guest today is Jake Jolly. He is a senior investment strategist at BNY Mellon Investment Management. Jake leads investment strategy research for the global economics and investment analysis team. You may have seen him appear on various media outlets as a guest on Bloomberg, The Wall Street Journal, CNBC, Yahoo Finance, Market Watch, CNN Business, Associated Press, and Reuters. He is also a chartered financial analyst. Wow. Jake, it's a pleasure to have you with me today. Thank you for being on my show. Happy to be here. Looking forward to the conversation. Me too. So I've uh, listened to a couple of you know meetings you've held and you're very insightful. You explain the market and the outlook and what's going on in the world in a very precise and concise way. So I'm really happy to have you on so we can talk. I'm happy to be here. As I said, I mean, it's definitely a challenging market these days, which obviously makes my job more exciting, maybe a little bit more challenging than uh, when the market only goes up. But certainly it gives us lots to talk about. And I think the silver lining of this market is really that there are a lot of opportunities out there as well. That's something I do want to highlight, too, because I think a lot of investors get scared around this time. And I myself like to point out the opportunities that are available. And there's a lot of fear. I think we could find some opportunity to do stuff and make moves instead of panicking or doing anything emotionally or rashly. So how long have you been with BNY Mellon? So I'm relatively new. I came over to the firm in about a year and a half ago. And prior to moving into this multi-asset class strategist role, I was a portfolio manager almost five years at Dimensional Fund Advisors. So this is a systematic quant fund where I was essentially running the U.S. small cap portfolio, so the flagship fund on the small cap desk. And, you know, great experience there. I came over really because I was interested in taking a role that was going to be across asset classes across the globe because my personal view is that, you know, the the conversations that you have when you're discussing with the clients and you can discuss the total portfolio are far more interesting than if you're, you know, isolated to just talking about U.S. small caps. The investment universe out there is very, very big, and I wanted to have conversations and be able to research the broad spectrum of investable assets out there. So, you know, great experience coming over from DFA, but very happy to be in my uh, relatively new position where I get to focus on the macroeconomics. I work with a lot of economists who are you know, ex-central bankers, so we have a lot of fun debating exactly how central banks are managing this cycle. And, you know, my primary role on the team is to focus on, okay, how do we translate that into what we think are the best investment opportunities? And as I already said, you know, it's definitely a very challenging market, but, you know, looking forward to uh, to diving into kind of where we see the opportunities, where we see the challenges and where we're headed from here. It's still a very big question in this market today. Yeah, I see it debated on TV. I think our clients, you know, they're confused, you know, they turn on the TV and, The headlines are definitely speaking for themselves and it's hard to kind of navigate that. And, you know, my job is to always be reaching out and be there to explain, you know, weed through all the noise, so to speak, and get to what's really, you know, the truth and what's really important to look at. And that's kind of the, some of the things I wanted to talk about too with you. So I kind of want to start with where, you know, where are 
things heading for this year. We've had some volatility, but the market seems to be up year to date. The past two years have definitely been challenging and we've been dealing with uh, many repercussions from the economic shutdown. So as the Fed is has been hiking interest rates, are we going to see a couple of more, maybe one or two, in your opinion? Yeah, so we're we're definitely nearing the tail end of this cycle. You know, and I think that's definitely one of the narratives that has supported equity prices this year has been the fact that, you know, this very aggressive front-loaded hiking cycle, really the most aggressive hiking cycle that we've seen since the, the early 1980s, is coming fast to a close. Now, that doesn't mean that it's all, um, you know, roses, because we've certainly started to see some of the cracks form in the economy that, you know, we would kind of expect to see on the backside of this aggressive tightening cycle. Historically, when you have policy turn this tight, this fast, you're going to start to see some vulnerabilities. And, and we certainly saw that pretty acutely at the beginning of March with the turmoil that we saw in the, the regional banking sector. Um, fortunately, I think the policy response was decisive enough and quick enough to essentially came, contain that uh, that risk. Unfortunately, you know, in the weeks that have, have followed, you know, we're, we're still early days on, the, on sort of the other side of it. But I think for now, it's cautiously optimistic that a lot of that that turmoil has been contained. We don't think that it's a systemic issue within the banking sector. That doesn't mean that, you know, the smaller regional banks aren't going to face headwinds going forward. Mm -hmm. um, but we don't see this as being, you know, a major, you know, economy-wide issue. Now, that being said, kind of getting back to your, your question, the Federal Reserve, you know, looks set to hike again, another 25 basis point hike at the beginning of May. Beyond that, it's very hard to say, but the way that the Fed officials are talking, the fact that we are in a disinflationary process, so we, we are getting inflation coming down, means that, you know, at some point they are going to be confident that the interest rate environment is sufficiently restrictive to cool the economy and get inflation back down to that target. Now, I do want to stress that we're still in that process. I, I think it's very, it's far too early to say that the battle against inflation has been won and it's going to take, you know, a number of months, if not quarters, to really be confident that inflation is getting under control. And for that reason, even though we are, I think, nearing the end of this tightening cycle, we're likely to see the policy rate stay higher for longer. Really, that's, I think, what is very challenging for the market is to say, you know, we're going to be at these restrictive levels, but how long are we going to be at restrictive? And how long can the economy hold up and remain resilient in the face of this restrictive policy stance? Well, and I think that's the challenge for investors and, and my clients too, is the timing of everything and worrying about, should we do something now? Should we stick with our plan? You know, I'm a huge advocate in having a plan and thinking of things long-term. The market has always overcome volatility. It's This is not the first type of inflationary period that we've dealt with. And let's look back to those periods and see how the market's recovered and not panic, not do anything that isn't part of our long-term plan. Now, with all of these interest rate hikes, obviously we've seen the word recession being said almost daily on TV. And there's a lot of, some analysts say there's going to be one, some say there 
probably won't be, but whether there is a shallow recession or something a little bit heavier, whether it's policy, you know, most likely it'll be policy induced. Will it be anything that's, is it short term? Is it long term? What do you think? Unfortunately, we are in the camp of those who, who think that the odds on are that there's going to be a recession uh, sooner or later. Now, I will quickly say that the good thing here is that because this recession is really a typical monetary policy induced recession, you know, it's, it's really a recession of our own making to get inflation under control. That would suggest that it's also a recession that can be relatively short and can be relatively mild because on the other side of the recession, we aren't going to have to unwind all of those sort of systemic issues that are often associated with the nastier types of recessions, right? This is a recession where as soon as the Fed is comfortable that inflation is under control, you can pretty quickly see that policy can normalize and the you know expectations, corporate earnings can start to recover. Now, it might take some time for that confidence or for the Fed to have confidence that that inflation is under control. But I, I would certainly stress that you know the U.S. economy is in a very good place heading into this this slowdown. And that should bode well for it being a you know mild, relatively short recession. That means we can you know move on to the next cycle, the next bull market in relative short order. So I think that that's one thing that that is important to stress because you know if we think of recent history, right? We have obviously the COVID recession, the shortest, most severe recession, on, you know, in the history books. And then before that, we had the global financial crisis, you know, the worst, deepest recession that we've had since the Great Depression. So I think this recession is not going to be very like either of those, because it is going to be more a recession that is hopefully a recession that can be weathered relatively well by corporates. You know, that doesn't mean that you're not going to see default rates increase, that you're not going to see unemployment rates move uh, higher. But it means that we can get started and move to the next phase of the cycle uh, much quicker than certainly we saw during the, the GFC. And I think that, you know, it's important to keep that in mind, especially when we think about, you know, your investment plan, right? A strategy that you can stick with. If you're a long-term investor, you know, that allows you to ride out this near-term volatility, right? Because really what, what we're talking about here is the next few quarters, the next year, right? We're not saying, you know, this is something that we think is going to drag on for multiple years. And that's really the benefit of being a long-term investor is that you can position your portfolio for five years, 10 years, be in those investments that are really going to pay off over the long term so that you can sleep well at night and don't have to worry too much about, you know, what's going to happen over the next several months or the next quarter. And that's why I always stress. And I think it's so important to pay attention to what the facts are and not the headlines, because there are other indicators that show us the economy is healthy or, you know, and is not heading towards a poor period. You know, we're always looking at car sales, home sales, and even consumer spending. And I always say, you know, drive around your town and see people are out at restaurants. People are going on vacations. The airports are always crowded. People are still going on cruises and it doesn't necessarily, you know, we don't feel like we're in a recession, even though, 
you know, I have clients coming to me saying, I think I'm afraid that we're heading towards a recession. And I say, well, do you feel like in a recession? And they always, you know, the consistent answer is no. So consumer spending seems to be up, you know, you go to a Costco and it's packed, a McDonald's and the drive-through is lines out the, to the street, same as Starbucks. So I always like to point out to look at the facts and to look at what's going on around us that instead of pointing to what's happening in the headlines. I think when we look at the health of the U.S. economy, uh, there are a lot of positives still. You know, this is a very resilient economy. The more surprising thing is just how well things have held up, given how much tightening has been put into the system. Now, if we think about where we're headed from here, we do think that tighter credit conditions are going to hasten a slowdown in the economy because purse strings are going to tighten. You know, we can obviously talk about what, what we expect to see as we roll through earnings season. But I think it really goes back to, to what I've already said, you know, that this is we, we might see a slowdown. We might see an uptick in, in unemployment. But in terms of the historical precedent of recessions, you know, we're not thinking that this is going to be a particularly bad one. And that means that, you know, in terms of portfolio positioning, there are certainly things that you can do to prepare. But it's certainly not the type of thing that you want to have a, a knee-jerk response and abandon your strategy, right? Because this is really part of being a long-term investor, being an investor full stop, is bearing you know, this risk that there are going to be business cycles, there are going to be periods of elevated volatility, and really the, the return that you're getting for investing in, in high-quality assets is you know, in part for, for bearing that risk, for bearing that volatility. So I really do try to stress you know, that we should not get so caught up in you know, the next few months, the next few quarters, because the market has a very long history of showing just how well you know, long-term investors are rewarded for, for bearing that you know, near-term volatility and, and staying invested in the market, right? I mean, I think that that's the, the key point here is that the market can be very volatile, but it's much more painful to you know, try to outguess the market than it is to, to stay invested and, and invest in, in high-quality assets. And I wanted to ask you, how does market volatility affect your job, if at all? <laughs> yeah, no, it definitely does. I mean, not that different than uh, most people, I would expect. Market volatility, stress, you know, when you, when you hear about a, a regional bank failing, when you hear about sort of these extraordinary policy steps that have to be taken over the weekend. I mean, that, that's stressful for everyone. I think for my own job, the challenge is, you know, when there's volatility, there's more things that you need to research and you need to research them more quickly. So you have less time to, you know, dive deeply into any one topic because you're kind of running from one thing to the next thing. So it definitely makes it more challenging. But during those times, you know, I really do, you know, try to go back to, okay, what is the long term projection? You know, how is this changing my view over the next year, if at all? Right. Because certainly, you know, there can be a lot of noise and, and certainly within rates markets, we've had really extreme volatility this year. I mean, uh, the equity market has been relatively calm compared to just how much we've seen Treasury rates move this year. And whenever you go through one of these periods, it, it is about, OK, well, where do I think I'm going to be in, in six months, one year from now, two years from now? Because if that hasn't materially changed then why would I feel that I need to make any 
changes immediately, right? Unless I'm unless I'm trying to be very tactical and and trade a you know a near term move, which is really not what my team is all about. We really focus on sort of those the best strategic investment decisions that are, that are going to play out over you know years, not months. So it's all about trying to keep that in focus, right? Because anytime you're in a stressful situation, it's kind of human nature to become very myopic and, and focus on, on only the next day or two. But that's not what being a good investor is all about, right? It's about having that longer term view and having sort of the confidence and conviction to, to stick with the view that, you know, hopefully if you're doing it right, will pay off in time. And that's a key word is you hope, but when it comes down to it, we've all seen it's very, very hard to have the discipline. And that's why I think it's, it's so important to have a third party helping you with your finances and kind of being there as the mediator between you and your emotion, really. Now, as far as this year, as far as next year, because I do agree with you, I think it's important to be forward-looking. Do we have a best-case scenario or and a worst-case scenario? I've heard different things from our analysts on where we think the, you know, whether we're going to end the year on a positive note or could we possibly end a second year negative? So the good news is that it's pretty rare that you end two years of negative returns on equity. And actually, uh, I was checking the numbers this morning. You know, we're down, I think, 13, 14% on the S&P since the, you know, the peak that we hit at the beginning of 2022. If you look at, you know, when we entered the bear market, so that was about mid-June of last year. We traded down more than 20% from that peak. Since then, you know, I think we're up 11% or so from that point. So the key takeaway there is, you know, you don't want to be selling out as soon as you enter into a bear market because the market is, is actually quite resilient, right. uh, even when you're in these kind of bear market situations like, like we still are now. But, you know, looking forward for the rest of this year, we do think that, you know, there's a better chance of a recession than sort of the upside case. I'll sort of elaborate on what we think would be the best case scenario. So again, we don't think it's odds on, but really this idea or the narrative around a soft landing is the best case uh, at this point. So to get a soft landing, and I know this this term gets thrown around a lot, so I guess maybe I'll start by just kind of describing what economists are, are talking about when they say soft landing. A soft landing is basically the end of a tightening cycle where inflation is able to you know, move lower or close to the target without seeing a material weakness in the labor market or any really specific corner of the market. So you, you see housing market not pulling back significantly. You don't see unemployment rise significantly. And policy is able to move from restrictive territory back to accommodation and, and moving more toward sort of a, a normal rate, right? Because I think hopefully everybody knows or believes that a Fed funds rate, so the main policy rate at 5% is not a normal rate, it is not the rate that the Fed thinks is consistent with the long run policy rate. So 5% is restrictive and it is restrictive because inflation is too high and the belief that by maintaining a restrictive policy stance, we're able to cool the economy and eventually get inflation back down closer to that 2% annual inflation target that the Fed is mandated. So the soft landing scenario is really basically we get out of this inflation battle without too many bumps and freezes. So it would require the, the labor market to soften, but essentially not crack. 
So that would mean that job openings decline, that wages flow, wage growth flows, but you wouldn't see a material increase in the unemployment, right? The unemployment rate right now is below 4%. By all accounts, that is a, a rate that is too low to be consistent with stable, low inflation. But the soft landing narrative is really around this idea that the tightening that we've seen so far put into the economy by the Fed is not an excessive amount of tightening. Essentially, that the economy is robust and resilient enough that it can take this, but at the same time, we get immaculate disinflation. So inflation continues to progress lower. We don't have any real setbacks in, in that, that path lower. And it's, you know, if you want to think about it in really simple terms, you know, we're at inflation rate about 5% right now. It's a, a pretty nice gradual slowdown back to the 2% target from here. And at the same time, the labor market holds together. That would be the best case scenario because it would mean that we would more quickly get back to an economy that is accelerating in terms of our broad aggregate growth. And it would mean that corporate earnings would also turn the corner more quickly. And that would be a positive for, for equities. It would probably be a positive for bonds as well because we would renormalize at interest rates that are probably a bit lower than today. So, on the whole, you know, that would be a, a very good scenario for, for portfolios, right? We currently think that the odds of that happening or the probability, we put it at about 20%. So we think it's still possible, but we don't think it's the most likely scenario. When we look at the leading economic indicators and when we look at historical precedent of how the economy has disinflated in the past. Okay. 20%, not, not too great, but. I still think that, and I actually, I call the interest rate hikes uh, sort of a double-edged sword because a lot of people are upset by them. And what Powell has really stressed was that he's doing it because the economy is still healthy and can withstand it, like you said. So it is sort of like a double-edged sword because the interest rates are getting hiked, but he's doing it because the economy is still strong and can handle it. Exactly. I mean, I think it's worth emphasizing that that's the reason that this business cycle is proving so challenging and why we've actually had so much market volatility because we're, we're kind of swinging back and forth between these expectations of, okay, we believe that there's an elevated risk of recession, but we also think there's still a possibility that we you know, get through this and, and we do get a soft landing. Uh, you know, that the probability of 20% is low. But it's definitely not zero. And because of that, I think that equities are, uh, you know, kind of trading in this no man's land, kind of waiting to see more definitively where the economic data is heading. And if you look at the real time indicators, growth is definitely holding together. The labor market is, is still very tight. Unemployment is very, very low. So at this point, even though, you know, history would suggest that you, you don't get out of these things without a recession. We think that, you know, in the post-COVID world, the dynamics are being a little bit weird right now, and it's, it's making it a challenging business cycle to read. Now, speaking of equities, are we seeing equities as overpriced? I've seen mixed feelings out there in the ether about it, and I think it's a good opportunity to add to some of those names, those high-quality names that have gotten a little beaten up. What do you think? I think it's definitely a better market for, you know, picking your spots. So being active basically focusing on those quality names that are going to perform well 
if we get a soft landing, but are also going to hold up relatively better if we do get a slowdown. I think that's really the key, is, is not to sort of blindly just buy the index, which is, by all accounts, probably a bit overpriced right now, especially if you think we're going to be rolling into recession. But I do think there are good opportunities, good mm-hmm quality names that you can increase exposure to that are going to essentially provide that sort of the hedge to, okay, I'm not, you know, giving up too much of the potential upside from here, but I'm also being a little bit more defensive, protecting the downside a little bit more because I do expect that there is a better chance of headwinds to growth, at least in the near term. Right. And I think we do need to balance that with our bond exposure. You were mentioning the double-edged sword of higher interest rates. Uh, you know, while the one of one side of that sword <laughs> is the fact that you know yields are just much higher than they have been in a very long time. So for bond investors, this is a a much better market to as an entry point and to really provide more of that ballast within the total portfolio. You know, obviously last year it was very, very difficult because interest rates were going from such a low level to such a high level over a very short period of time. But the silver lining is that now those, those rates are much higher. You're able to take home a, a very attractive income return on bonds. And at the same time, you are getting, you know, a bit of that, uh, hedging, uh, potential that historically we had seen from bonds. The bonds really shine when growth expectations slow because equities are just much more sensitive to changes in growth. So relative to bonds. So if we do have a slowdown, if equities face headwinds from this point onward, bonds are a good way to essentially offset some of that volatility and provide balance in in the total portfolio. I think that's important too, because I think a lot of investors are unsure of what to do, but it's, they want to do something. I'm always seeing the, the FOMO out there, the market, and they want to do something, but they're not sure what they're maybe tentative to add to equities, but you know, where else is there to go? So bonds are a good area. I think that of now, you know, in the past years, there hasn't been much opportunity there, but now there's a lot more opportunity and diversity that you could add to your portfolio. I had researched a while ago and and I found that going back 20 years we haven't had two down years consecutive in over 20 years and I know the last two years of volatility have really rattled people I just like to stress that there is a lot of nervous investors out there but like I just said they do have that FOMO and they want to be able to do something they want to know that they want to have some gain back a little bit of control I feel like it's definitely worth emphasizing that, you know, anytime you expect that the economic challenges ahead, I think it's it's important to refocus on, you know, where can I increase diversification in my portfolio? Diversification is really the only free lunch in the investing world. And I think that uh, especially when we think about the total portfolio and, and some of the things that we can do with the bond side of the portfolio, it's really a much better opportunity than it was last year. I mean, I think last year was, was just very scarring for people because, you know, the, the bonds weren't working for us. The equities weren't working for us. There, there was really very few assets that were providing a diversification benefit or much return performance at all. But I think this year, we're going to get more dispersion in terms of returns across asset classes. 
And ultimately, that means that being diversified is, is going to really help maintain you know, the resiliency of mm-hmm. your portfolio. I completely agree that we might see more volatility you know, from here, especially within equities. But at the same time, we definitely could end the year you know, with a positive return because I think we should definitely not underappreciate just how resilient the economy and the market can be because things can happen very quickly. Right? I mean, I've, I've been talking about how you know, we, we think that odds on is, is a recession you know, at some point whether that comes in the second half of the year or, or maybe it gets pushed into 2024. But the reality is that oftentimes, you know, the market will, will price in the recession. But once we start to see sort of the other side of that recession, that's when you really start to see that recovery take hold and it can happen very quickly. And that's really to sort of emphasize the point that you don't want to be trying to market time these things, or at least not with any you know, to extreme precision because they can move a lot faster than really any of us can expect. And that's why having that long-term strategy of having position that you can stick with that's going to deliver the returns that, that you need in your portfolio is much more important than trying to get into the market right at the, the market bottom or get out right before the top. Because the research is pretty clear that, that doing that is, is almost always to the detriment of your total return over long periods of time. I love the mantra. I tell everyone it's time spent in the market, not market timing. And it's, I mean, it's easier said than done for sure. But like you said, there's, there's so much research out there that mathematically it's a certain, that certainty that if you try and time the market, you are going to harm your portfolio over the long term. And you may not see it short term, but over the long term, you will do more harm than good to the percent to your return. I'll sort of add some color onto why I think that is the case. <laughs> you know, as humans, we're, we all suffer from recency bias, right? So we're, we're all a bit too influenced by things that have happened recently, which kind of clouds our longer term vision of where things are actually going to be in, in six months or 12 months time. And of course, the joke is that, you know, forecasting is difficult, especially when it's about the future. And the reality is that the markets are still very unpredictable. So that's why it's much more important to focus on, you know, what you can control than it is to obsess over, you know, where things are going to be in the next six months or 12 months. It's really all about what is the position, what is the strategy that I can stick with that I think is reasonable and makes sense over a longer period of time that isn't going to lead me into, you know, these kind of knee-jerk responses based on, you know, whatever the crisis of the day is. And I think that I spent a lot of time, you know, my, my job is to talk about where things are going to be in six months, 12 months time. But very frequently, you know, I have to, you know, stop and make sure that I am not being overly influenced by what just happened in the last week, right? Because it's much more important to understand sort of the longer term arc and understanding, you know, how that's going to influence investment performance over a longer period of time, not, you know, this week or next week. And I liked what you said before too about diversity, because I think that over the last eight or so years, all we've been focused on is tech. And that's just one sector of a broad market. And I think now more than ever, people have realized where there were so many holes in their portfolios and sure they were getting excellent returns, but that's not, that is certainly not the norm. And we've had extreme growth, but we suffered in the last couple of years. So I think 
now more than ever, people are going back to the foundation of their plans and adding that diversity that is really important to keep the overall portfolio healthy, you know, which is why I, I named myself the mindful money manager, because I want to loop in that we should be mindful of the bigger picture and having a foundation in place. Makes sense to me. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I really appreciate you taking your time out today to talk with me. Just real quick, I wanted to end on more of a personal note about you. And I just want you to tell us one thing or a few things that you love about your job. I thought about this a little bit already. I didn't want to give a very, you know, cliche answer. I love helping people. (laughs) (laughs) I think, you know, for me personally, I've always been sort of a very futuristic minded person. You know, I, I like science fiction. I like to think about how things can be and where things will head. And I think that my job is, is really about just that, thinking about, you know, the, the latest technologies, thinking about how the market might evolve. I think this job provides me the ability to kind of research things that, that I think are, are going to be the most impactful over the you know coming years. And I think that's always keeping things fresh and always kind of keeping me interested. So it's definitely challenging, but you know, challenges are, are worth doing. And I think uh, at the end of the day, if you can have a career where you're you know waking up every day and you're, you're excited to get out there and, and do some interesting research and talk to interesting people and debate interesting ideas, then that's a pretty cool job. Definitely. Keeps you on your toes, keeps you sharp. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Well, thank you so much, Jake. It was a pleasure. I appreciate your time today. 